0: Good morning, um, if you can find your seat, we're going to get started with the message. We have an unusual thing this morning in that we have two people sharing who happen to be married to each other, Diane and I, um, because we're going to talk about a, um, a section in Colossians uh, about husbands and wives and special instructions to husbands and special instructions to the wives. And I want you to know that we have spent 37 years preparing for this message. Now, hopefully it won't be as long to deliver the message, but we spent, um, we spent all these years, and, and honestly, we've just been growing in, in many ways the last few years more than ever with that. But before we even do that, before we even talk about that, um, we invited two special people. In fact, without these people, I would not be here. And these are my parents, Tracy and Lena Walters. You can raise your hand. Now get this. We think that we're starting to get this marriage thing down and this husband and wife and how we connect and how we relate and team together. We've done this for 37 years. They have done this, last March, was their 70th year, 70th anniversary. <laughs> and so much of what we're going to share, honestly, comes out of the modeling from my parents, and from Diana's parents, and then from scripture, and all kinds of other sources. But without that we modeling... lots of mistakes. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, that's, that's my part. My, lots of mistakes. Anyway, we're going to start with this. Um, I'm going to start with the scripture. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting oh, in the Colossians,
1: Lord. Colossians chapter 3. Yes, it
0: um, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We want to start with a story. 37 and a half years ago, we got married. And it, at that ceremony, not far from here in Knox Presbyterian Church, the young pastor, twenty six-year-old pastor was speaking about this verse, um, I think the version of it in, in Ephesians, and he was talking about the role of a woman, submit, and, and um, as is fitting in the Lord. And He was talking about that, and one of Diana's friends, Jennifer, was in the, in the congregation, was in, in the audience, and she heard that, she was not a believer, and she was very disturbed. And she, she had a response that probably many in our culture and some in the church would have today. She said, no, no, Diana, don't, don't do it. Don't vow that. Don't submit to that. And then um, the, when she, she had that reaction before the pastor started talking about my role. But the problem was not so much that the scripture was misguided um, or that uh, it was that more that Jennifer didn't really understand it. But I think that's true today and, and, and for some of us. Um, so, as our pastor began to explain the biblical model for me, uh, especially the high call of the husband, Jennifer began to kind of warm up to the idea a little more. Um, we need to understand, so most people in our modern Western culture do not have much of an issue with the call of husbands to love their wives. That sounds pretty good. Women, amen? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but they do, they bristle um, at the idea of a wife submitting to their husband. And it sounds backward, uh, dishonoring. In fact, the passage, get this, made the list of the London Telegraph, don't know what that is, but top 10 most offensive Bible passages. So we're going to preach on the top 10 today. Let's pray.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Dear Lord, we just um, thank you that you're here in our presence. Lord, thank you that your plans and your ways are higher than our ways. And uh, thank you for your word and um, the whole package of your word. And we just pray that you be with Kelly and I as we present. Open up hearts and help us to realize that this passage is not just for husbands and wives, but it's for all of us in relationship. We just pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. I want to challenge all of us. Diane and I, as we were preparing this message, we started realizing how much we've learned, how much more we understand this, and how to really team together at, at 37 years into the marriage than we did in our first few years in marriage. And we believed in the passages of scripture when we first got married. But it's, it, how many of you understand that you can, under, you can know a scripture and yet not know all the levels and the depths of how to apply it? And so for, for younger people, and for us older people, we're going to help you. We won't try to help my parents. They already have got it down. But, <laughs> but we're going to try to help you um, and challenge you. Um, really want to challenge you rather than thinking, uh, listening and thinking, OK, I've got this down. I want to challenge you. Like, what, what, what is the, about the spirit of this that we can understand better? Now, this is, we're going to give you a little historical background. This passage was scandalous in the first century also. But what, was, what sounded more alarming then was this revolutionary idea that husbands had a moral obligation to love, serve, and be gentle with their wives. The common view then was that wives were of a lower status than their husbands. First century uh, historian Josephus wrote, the woman, says the law, is in all things inferior to man. Men don't say amen to that, good job. Let her accordingly be submissive. That that was a historian, uh, the common view at the time. Um, However, the Bible, way back in Genesis, uh, describes the woman and the man in the garden, places them in the image of God on equal standing. And the New Testament declares, this is one of our favorite verses for social justice. There is neither therefore, we have that slide, thank you, Um, uh, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. In the context of the time period when the New Testament letters were written, um, um, women did not have rights, nor did husbands have any moral obligation. Aristotle advocated submission and obedience because he believed women, children, and slaves to be inferior. On the other hand, Paul insists that fathers and, and masters and husbands act in love, encouragement, and fairness. Aristotle simply tells them to, or it tells those husbands and, and fathers to rule. That was the ethic of the time. Our modern uh, ear loves the sound of equality and rights. However, it, and why don't you think about this? I believe an over-emphasis on rights can often lead to a power struggles and blame. This is clearly evident in our culture. You see that? When we emphasize that, overemphasize that. The ancient world, however, valued social order and, and uh, rules. But an overemphasis on that, on authority, often leads to abuse of that authority, producing dehumanization and marginalization of those at a lower status. What's amazing, what's beautiful, is how the scripture balances these. In theological circles, I don't know if you know that, if you went to Bible school. I did not, but I've heard about these debates. People often debate. Um, between the biblical marriage model of what they call egalitarianism. Thank you, I was able to say that. Um, Husbands and wives are equal. And the other view of complementarianism, that husbands and wives have different roles that complement each other. In the debate, one position is all often juxtaposed against the other. Who's right? Who's wrong? As if you have to choose one. The position, though, that's most faithful, I believe, to Scripture holds both views in a beautiful paradox, like so many things in Scripture. Husbands and wives have equal value of position before God, and husbands and wives have different roles that complement one another and different responsibilities. So as we tackle the specifics of these complementary roles given in Colossians, we want to, must keep in mind, because we're talking about the roles part, we must keep in mind that any function of those roles is, is, has to be done in the light of a fundamental equality of value of husbands and wives. We must never define uh, or live out the biblical roles in a way that applies greater value to one part of the body than another. Secondly, we want to put these in context of the book of Colossians. So there's some bullet points we're going to have up here. First of all, Colossians reminds us that the context of the book, the main part of the book talks about All things were created by him and for him about about Christ. Therefore, you are to set your heart on things above, not on the things below. And we are to take off our old self and put on the new kingdom clothes. And finally, whatever you do, do in the name of our Lord Jesus. It's in that context that this scripture comes in. If we take it out of context, we may lose the greater value and the greater picture of this. The goal at the end of chapter 3 is to give the church practical guidelines for putting on the new kingdom clothes, especially in relationships, and therefore therefore glorify God. The call to wives to submit and the call to husbands to love are both responses to the greater call to serve Christ and are only possible with the right attitude when empowered by the Holy Spirit. These are less rules as they are a response to serving Christ to honoring Christ for his glory.
1: Okay, this is my part. It's hard, (laughs) but it's okay. Okay, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I admit that this is a touchy topic for me. The word submit causes me to bristle. I'm a woman of the 70s. It has a strong connotation, and as an oldest daughter, I have a desire to please and submit as well as to be in charge. I like being in charge, okay. So I like to think though of submit as to honor and respect my husband. I like those words better. They just fit a little better with me. Kelly and I have had many years to practice this, make lots of mistakes, and to allow for the Holy Spirit to convict and gently correct. Sometimes not gently correct, I can be corrected not so gently, but he likes to discipline his children. So we started our lives together, which is really a beautiful thing in our marriage with Jesus as our foundation. We came to know each other through the Lord. And so, um, His word is our marriage's foundation. And to be reminded of that really helps us throughout this. Okay, let's, um, this, number one is this verse is for wives, okay? Husbands, this is not your mail, right? It's not your job to demand that we as wives submit, okay? I need to focus on what God's called me to do as a wife and as a growing follower of Jesus. It's a red flag when a husband demands submission, and thankfully, Kelly, you do not demand submission. I don't want it, but don't demand <laughs> <laughs> And if he did, I'm sure that with me, he would have a strong-willed wife in his way. So I, you know, everybody's different. I've got, I've, I kind of take after Kelly's mom we're strong in some ways, um, but also I want to be a follower of the Lord. So all of us are different. Our, our, our personalities are a little different. Um, anyway, so number two, the call to submit is about an attitude and posture, not about losing a wife's voice, opinion, or value because we're equal, mm-hmm. right? So over time, Kelly's learned more and more to value my opinion. And we've learned to communicate daily. We're a lot better than we used to be. um, And about what's happening in our lives. And with major decisions, especially we're committed to not going forward until we've come into a united position. Okay. So buying a house, moving jobs, um, buying a car, um, inviting someone to live into our home, that was something that we had to take time with prayer and listening and negotiation. And the time sometimes to find a, a unified opinion is considerable, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, that might be months, days, months, years, mm-hmm. decades. We'll, we'll come to an agreement and then we'll make it. <laughs> It's Jesus that is in charge. Okay, the word submit, number three, Hippotasso is a Greek word, and that means more of a voluntary choice to put oneself under the authority and direction of someone. Okay, I like that. It's not that I'm forced to do that, I've chosen to submit. I did this in my wedding vows. And um, as my friend Jennifer didn't want me to, but I did. And by establishing a head of the household, the Bible does not squash my individuality, a wife's individuality, opinions, feelings, or expression. Rather, it can eliminate the struggle or the fight for power. Um, Husbands and wives do not have to arm wrestle or scream for the right to lead. (laughs) I attempt by God's spirit to choose honor Kelly and respect him sometimes I have to work in my mind this is a hard choice to stop and listen and um, but at the same time I can freely express my opinions ideally it's with the Holy Spirit telling me what to say but sometimes I have to apologize very quickly but God is good about giving us the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation so that's that's really cool number four This is my favorite part, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, my submission or our submission as wives is in the context of a more important submission of Mm -hmm. both Kelly and I submitting to Christ. But the parallel passage for wives and husbands in Ephesians is um, for all believers, it says, Paul says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not just me submitting to my husband, Mm -hmm. it's about us. I'm submitting to Jamie because I I appreciate you Um, or to Kelly's parents because I wanna honor them. Mm -hmm. So it's not just me and Kelly, it's my brothers and sisters, it's my pastor and elders Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. friends at work and because they're made in the image of God. Okay, so when we listen to each other's thoughts, we have to ask, Lord, what do you want? We are both under his leadership. Lord, what do you want in this? Mm -hmm. Okay, number five, a man's greatest emotional need is to feel respected. A lot of theologians and research has gone into this, but men can be emotionally vulnerable. They don't like to be vulnerable, okay? And most women have several close friends, we can talk with things about things, confide in each other. But the average man has one friend or no friends, which means that his wife is really the only one he can risk being vulnerable with. Um, My sin nature may tend towards being critical and controlling and that's not helpful when (laughs) he's, he's vulnerable to me. So, God calls me to honor and build Kelly up, and as I respect him, um, he will become more of the man that I want to listen to and team with and trust in his leadership. Number six, quickly, this is really important, as is fitting in the Lord. Notice this verse does not tell wives to obey like it might tell children to obey your parents, um, that type of thing. But it sets a boundary. Okay. Be Submissive as is fitting in the Lord, okay? So I'm not to enable my husband to continue an irresponsible, violent, addictive, adulterous behavior. That's not in the Lord. A wife's love is to respect him and calls him to his better self. You know, her love and respect is that way. So um, this is a great quote, um, pastor and writer um, Tim Keller. Amazing, but his wife Kathy says, if my husband was abusing me, I would tell him, honey, I love you, I will visit you in jail. (laughs) So So we don't put up with certain things. Um, Here's a story from over 20 years ago. Um, We came home late one night and there was a uh, friend waiting in the car that was parked in our driveway. She was fed up with her husband and she was crying out for help. We knew that their marriage was horrible. Everybody did. Well, people would cringe over the way they would talk to each other in front of, in public. It was just really awful. She was highly intelligent and was recognized as a much more gifted leader than he ever was, okay? Over a period of time, though, with prayer and counsel, she chose to give him more respect, including letting him awkwardly lead their small group that they had in their home, even when she could do a better job. As he led, she applauded his effort and publicly recognized the things that he did well. She chose to do that. Mm -hmm. As she gave him more respect, he was less defensive. He found more ways to love her and she began to shower him with more appreciation. The relationship dramatically changed before our eyes. And 20 years later, they're still together. Mm -hmm. And so, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Kelly.
0: Yeah, I got my own. Awesome, thank you. So my part, I'm going to speak to you husbands. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. So at first glance, it's very easy to see this verse as, um, basically, I'll translate it Um, Like, the guys get off pretty easy, like, hey, feel some love, and, you know, don't be too mean. Um, I think I can do that, says the average Joe. Uh, However, as our pastor in our wedding told me, he looked at me after he talked about Diana's part, and he said, Kelly, your job is a lot harder. And here's why. In Ephesians, it says the wife's role may be to give honor and respect, but... In Ephesians 5.25, it defines a husband's love should, have, should be like this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for them. So, number one, husbands are called to agape their wives. The word love here in Colossians is the Greek word agape, which many of you know is self-sacrificing, other-centered love. So, the fundamental call for a husband is to lay down his life for his wife by serving her and putting her ahead of himself. When this was explained in our wedding, Diana's friend Jennifer, we've talked about, when she heard that description about my role, she thought, hmm, maybe this doesn't sound so bad, (laughs) my husband's laying down his life for, for me. Second, husbands are called to lead and love by serving. So the Bible does give the role of spiritual leadership to husbands, but that role is not an autocratic kind of a dictatorial role, it's a role of serving. And Jesus defined and modeled this as servant leadership. On the night before his death, um, as many of you know, he dramatically demonstrated this by washing the disciples' feet. A task so demeaning that only slaves were even allowed to do something so beneath everyone else's dignity. And washing feet is not a cultural ritual for most of us anymore. Um, So we have to substitute other things of of serving, of laying down our lives. One of the best substitutes for, for us early in our marriage with children was changing diapers. Changing diapers and especially poopy diapers. I took great pride. In fact, I began to rate diapers for young parents. Maybe you've done this or you can take this from me. We rated them on, on the number of wipes needed to completely clean things up, and I proudly declare I hold the record for a, for cleaning a diaper that was a seven-wipey diaper. Pretty proud of that. It wasn't my wife; it was me that took care of that one. Thankfully, our kids got past that stage after 10 years or so. So. Um, so this is, uh, this is kind of the way. So we have to think as husbands, our, our focus should be, what's my role? Not what are you doing, are you submitting? Should be, what am I doing to lay down my life? And if I come put my attention on that, it's, it's, <laughs> it's rare that I feel like I'm fully doing my job and that she needs to start stepping up. It's usually the other way around. A woman's greatest third, a woman's greatest emotional need is to be loved. Wives feel that love when they are cherished, one of the marriage researchers that's, that's the most well known in, 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 the, in the world, John Gottman, he, he, taught, he uses that word, cherish. And, and with couples, they do a lot of work to help them cherish each other. I love that word. So, this requires investment of time, money, and energy. It involves speaking her love language, if you've heard that idea. Earlier in our marriage, I was pretty good at words of affirmation. That just kind of came natural to me. I'm verbal, and I'm, I'm kind of bubble up you know, love, and so I'd say those things to her. Um, um, and I, but I mistakenly assumed that that was enough. Uh, so, uh, but what I didn't really understand is that I didn't make time for us. Quality time is a huge one for her. I gave my, life, my wife my leftover energy, not my primary energy. And I didn't often do intentionally the things that she wanted to do. Or would bless her. I sometimes would tell my wife after a, still this today, after a social event, I'm in the room, I see her over there. And you know like when you're in high school and you you kind of around somebody that like is cute, but they also are like just dynamic and you love their personality and you are just thinking, man. And I told and I her that and I said, when I was in the room, I was just sitting there across the room and I was thinking, looking at you and thinking, I'd like to ask that woman out. And when I told her that a number of times, she often has this response, then do it. <laughs> I, used to, I used to dismiss the need to go out on dates and things, because we're married. We already did that. And I liked her, but I just had other focus and other values. Um, and then I learned how important it was to continue to go on dates, to, to plan, take the initiative to plan getaways. Vacations make time for just us. And often it was a strange thing. Some of you may understand this. We'd come back from this getaway, we'd come back from somewhere, and we'd be driving back home to Seattle, and we're just like all of a sudden we realize, like, I really like you. Like, I forgot. Because we had the time now to just fall in love again or to readore each other, to share about our stories about our children or whatever we were sharing, and, and, and it was such a wonderful thing. And sometimes the Lord in those Getaways would speak to us direction, like very clear direction for the future that changed our lives. So it's powerful, we need them to make time. Four, um, husbands are called to love their wives by listening deeply, valuing her unique opinions and letting her influence him. I used to think that I had to be the man with a plan. That's what a leader was. Now, I'm realizing that God has given me Diana as a gift to help me grow and learn. And I could best lead when I listen well. What what we come up with is far better than what I can come up with. Amen, guys? Okay, I didn't hear a lot of amens. Maybe we're going to get in trouble at home. Five, husbands are called to be gentle and kind. It says, do not be harsh with them. I don't know if you know this, guys, but women, I've discovered, have these things called feelings. Men do, too. But guys may call, and if you notice, this guy kind of chatter, guy, guys you know, punch each other in the shoulder, and they, and they have nicknames sometimes, like, ugly, hey, ugly, what's up, stinky? I mean, they just, you know. I've worn, learned that doesn't work as well with wives, for some reason. Okay? Guy, women... Want to be cherished. Um, I've known coaches. I, I, I did coaching. My dad was a coach. I did coaching for years. And I've known coaches now when they brought girls into, into um, uh, having, uh, uh, you know, varsity sports and so forth, there were some coaches who switched from coaching boys for years and years to coaching girls. And, and they had been very successful coaching boys. And they would, you know, yell at them and call them, you know, in a timeout and say, you need to step up, you know. You're, you're supposed to be a leader on our team. And the guy would go out there and would respond and he would be playing better than ever. And some of you guys that were athletes can relate to some of that. And then the guy, the coach would end up coaching a girls team. And he would just like do this. <laughs> yeah. And he would do the same thing. And for some reason, it would re, the response was sometimes a flood of tears or mutiny or, you know, girls quitting. I know Bo well enough. Like if I, I would pick him to coach girls because he's a, Sensitive guy, you know, and he's tender and everything. So I can see the girls really responding to that a little better than a Vince Lombardi type of, type of coach. Um, now, um, it's interesting that men are warned against harshness twice. They're told to not be harsh to their wives and not to be harsh to not bitter to their children. Isn't that interesting? Is there a tendency of guys to be harsh? I wonder. Seems like the Bible gives that warning. Um, I have never called my wife a name that I remember other than wonderful nicknames, but I've never called her a derogatory name as far as I know. But I have disrespected her in the tone and the intensity. Sometimes I don't even realize it. And she said, can you say that in a different way? You were talking to me like I'm stupid or like I'm a child. You see some, I see some couples kind of laughing like, they're, like I'm reading their mail. Okay. Many men respond to their wives' emotional breakdown by trying to fix the problem. Why a wise husband tries to support her feelings first and validate them. Sometimes that's all she needs, it's kind of crazy. She doesn't need a fix. These are things I've learned. Okay, pop quiz, and we're getting the in here. Pop quiz, and this is a quiz for you, some of you, we won't have, have you, you know, now we've studied this scripture. The bottom line in a home, who's in charge? in this household? Don't, don't, don't answer it yet, but just think. Because a lot of this is a question of who's in charge. And so I have a, had a three-year-old, is a very precocious three-year-old who's not a writer for the Inlander. And he was born loving words and he was born with a mind that was like off the charts. You had to be careful what you said because it'd be used against you in, a, in, in his court, in his bedroom. Definitely. Brilliant kid. And I also had this philosophy, like rather than talking baby talk for a long time, I just start using big words. Because he was sharp and he and he loved it, he just learned those big words. So literally at three years old, he had done something to defy me, and I don't know what it was, but maybe I told him to pick up his toys or something, and he said no. And I said, You can't tell daddy no. I said, Pick up your toys. He said, No, I don't want to. That doesn't fly in our home. So I picked him up and I thought this is a teachable moment. I took him out. I, I remember the, the, the day I sat him on the front porch. And I said, Daniel, you can't tell daddy no. You need to learn a thing called authority. I know he's three, what am I doing talking about authority? But I tried it. You need to learn about authority. Authority means who's in charge. When you tady, told daddy no, you're talking like you were in charge. Who, so I want you to ask you, Daniel, who's the authority? Who's in charge in this home? And he looked up, to, up at me, and he says, God. I said, Okay, okay, that's true. <laughs> that's true. No, he had it right. Huh? Amen? He had it right. So like Diana said, our question, believe it or not, it, it, when we have decisions, is not like, okay, I think it's time that I take the authority God has given me. No, our question, our guiding question should be, God, what do you want? And many times, in fact, we're committed to this idea that God's going to speak to both of us if it's a major change or a major decision. He's going to speak somehow through both of us, maybe it'll be one or the other. So we're going to finish by giving you a, a, a metaphor, a grand metaphor. So how can this be lived out practically? And I've got, a, I've got a, a picture for you that may help you, that may you may not think that relates. So we're going to show you a picture. Do you know who this is? Two guys, I want to hear. Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett, good football fan. Seahawks. Seahawks. They are known, at least one point last season, they were leading the NFL, they were the top quarterback receiver combo. Most touchdowns, uh, no interceptions when he targeted him, most number of yards and everything. They were the best combo. They're best friends. They've been playing together for a long time. So how do I relate to this to husbands and wives? Here's the here's the idea. There's a number of points here. I just want you to think about this. Because this is a picture of teamwork.
1: Because to me, marriage is more teamwork. So this is a summary of what
0: we've talked yes. about. So One, who's, who's a more important player? Answer is, they have equal value. They have different positions, of course. They are best serve, the team's going to be successful if they do their position well. One of them has an assignment of a leadership role, the quarterback. He calls the signal, maybe call the play in the huddle. However, are they in charge? Answer, no. In football, usually there's somebody called a coach or an offensive coordinator that's calling plays and sending them in. In college games sometimes they have the whole team stop and look over to the sideline to look at the signals of these weird signs, of weird characters, right? Have you seen that? And some of them are fake signs and they have a signal and they have every player has to memorize it for a no huddle offense so they can just go up the line and they all know the play. We have to do that in marriage. That should be our number one thing. Go and look at the coach. Amen? God. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying, yeah. <laughs> so and they're most effective, these two. I, they're my two favorite players, by the way. They're most effective when they have tight communication, they practice off-season, they know each other's in and out, and they are better the longer they've played together. And some of the most effective plays are the plays that break down, right? And, and Wilson starts scrambling. And Lockett sees that and he knows where to go and they can almost read each other's minds. That's what marriage can be like. We know each other, we read each other, we feel each other, we listen to each other deeply. We... I'm about to tell Diana something, and she says, no, I don't really think that's a good idea. You know, I said, well, what about, yeah, I thought about that. We know each other. We, we've, we've worked together. Okay, We're going to finish with um, just four quick keys that relate to this. So there's four bullet points. So how do you do this in marriage? Number one, regular huddles, listening to the coach.
1: Um we're just gonna I'm gonna do well anyway, our regular huddle has developed in the last couple of years into something very beautiful. Yeah. We get to meet with each other in the mornings. When we're both even when we were both going to work um, early and it sit down, maybe it's ten minutes, maybe it's a half an hour, and we could talk, we pray, we read scripture. On Saturdays it's more apt to be or a couple times a week maybe we'll we'll um journal scripture and they say what did you get and we both got different things and we get so excited about what God's showing us mm-hmm. and um, so it's listening to the coach is what is God telling us in scripture what is he telling us in our life and our world and and when we do that we are recalibrated because we wake up depressed mm-hmm. this world is weird virus politics race racial unrest all this stuff and then we get back and we huddle, and it's cool. So,
0: mm-hmm. yes, yeah, second one, um, regular reconciliation. We have to regularly come and apologize to each other. We have to regularly check: did that offend you? We we just have to. We're we, that that's we're not
1: done with that. But it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't happen that much. But when it does happen, we mm-hmm. we want we don't want to keep going. With and
0: third one, that Diana can speak to.
1: Get help when needed, pull the alarm, don't wait. Some of us don't have great marriages, okay? There's problems and there are people around us, brothers and sisters that can help us. Um, Kelly and I, we have stories that we could tell of times when God pulled out the stops for us and brought lots of people around us in different things to make us have better marriages, counseling, conferences, um, classes together, individual classes, I can grow myself. As I grow myself, then I can be a better wife. So anyway. And
0: the last one, that this learning takes time. And, and, and the more you work at it, the better you can get, just like Wilson and Lockett. Great marriage, metaphorically. Um, that they, that they, they spent all this time, like we talked about. And we'll, the low part of our marriage was seven to 10 years. And Diana pulled the fire alarm. She says, I'm not happy with this marriage, which crushed me, seriously, because I loved her. And she loved me. But there were things that were not good about how we were relating. And we, we did a marriage class that revolutionized things for us and, and everything. So it takes time, and we need to keep honing, and we need to keep adjusting. We need to keep learning from the Lord and learning from each other.
1: And what our job is, and this is... We gotta listen to the coach because mm-hmm. God has a plan for the Kelly that he's planned you to be, mm-hmm. created you to be, and the Diana. I'm not the same as Tracy and Le- We're not the same as Tracy and Leader. we're unique. And as we cheer one another on to become who God's created us to be, it's pretty beautiful. So it's pretty, it's fun. Now we don't have to be married to do that. We can cheer one another on to become who God's created you to be in lots of different relationships um, and listen um, so anyway we're gonna pray're gonna
0: let our worship leaders come on up and um, and we're gonna just pray um, just during worship I just want to cha- challenge all of us to rethink couples you might uh, you even turn to each other and say you know what do you what did you learn or is there something you got um, from this that you want to maybe you need to apologize you may say I just really feel like I need to do a better job of this when I have married couples come in for counseling I do um, mental health counseling and, and marriage counseling. And, and when they come in, um, almost always there's a key right away from what I see when a couple is that they're, they're going to grow like crazy. And it's a couple that comes in, and they're both like, we want to grow. We both need to learn. And both take responsibility, like I need to grow. And one couple that argued with each other, no, well, it's really my, more my problem. And if we wouldn't have had these problems if it wasn't for me. Well, no, if I would not have done this, it wouldn't have been. And they argued with each other like that. That was pretty cool. And they just take off and grow. So Lord, I just pray for all of us, married or unmarried, that you just help us to um, just really see the beauty of your your ways, that we aren't having to fight for rights and struggle for power, but we can honor each other and love and outdo each other in in serving and loving and respecting and and just help us to um, see any way, convict any way that we need to do that. And Lord, give um, give us the courage to communicate and to step out on that as we worship you to the bottom line is that we would submit to you um, we would submit to you and worship you amen